Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today's episode is a focus on calcium. Join us to find out about the role of calcium in muscle contraction and energy production, and also how to ensure you're eating calcium-rich foods to keep your calcium status at an optimal level. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Aileen, and I'm here again with Karen. Karen, how are you today? Yes, I'm good, thank you, Aileen. The sun is shining, the skies are blue, so I'm happy. <laughs> sounded like you were about to say some kind of poem there, Karen. <laughs> if only I was poetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're okay. Yes. Uh, it's nice to uh, nice to be chatting today, as always. And we're going to start off by sharing something personal, as we usually do about nutrition or running, uh, before we go on to discuss our topic today, which, of course, is focusing on the mineral calcium and its influence on running performance. Um, so, Karen, I mean, you already said the sun's shining. We've definitely moved into springtime now, uh, mm-hmm. and summer hopefully is uh, around the corner. Um, so we, we recently were talking about food for springtime, and I just wondered if you've got a favorite springtime vegetable that you cook with, Karen. Yeah, I do, Aileen. I can reply to that really quickly because my favourite food at this time of year is asparagus. And um, and I, I just love it in, in, in anything and everything. And the season is so short that every time I go shopping, I pick up a bunch of asparagus to use because I know I'm not going to, to, to be able to use it. Because I do like to buy the local asparagus. You can get it all year round, but I think it comes from Peru or somewhere. Um, so I do, I do tend to eat a lot of it at this time of the year because you know it's it's season really is between April and and June but April really is um the height of its of its season so between April in fact right up to June and as long as I can find British um asparagus I'll buy it and um, I really like it raw in a salad um, or I might just slice it and saute it with a a little bit of lemon or make it into a a soup it's just delicious I don't know if you've got any vegetable Aileen you're so passionate about at this time Uh, of year 
Yeah, I mean, I love asparagus too, um, you know, and I like it just very simple and maybe with a poached egg is a really nice way of, of yeah. having it. Uh, but I do have a new favourite, um, which is pur- purple sprouted broccoli. And that was really inspired by our conversation on the episode about eating for, for spring running. Um, and I've got a really good local green grocer and I noticed that he started um, selling it. And I think it must come from somebody very local Um and it's absolutely delicious. And it's really, I think what surprised me is how delicate it is. It's not like other broccoli or even tender stem. It's less chewy. It's just really delicate and melt in the mouth. Um, so I've been steaming it and serving it as a side dish um, with various different accompaniments. I, I really like the lemon yogurt dressing that you suggested, Karen. Um, but I've also cooked it with some miso paste and also with a little bit of hollandaise sauce as a, an accompaniment. Um, so it's really nice. In fact, I had it as a, I had it as a starter yesterday because I couldn't wait for my dinner and I thought I was going to eat it while everything else cooks. So it's oh, really nice. Yes, I love the, the different um, sauce ideas, Aileen, you're giving. In fact, those sauces would probably go quite well with my asparagus as well. So I might, I might yeah. think about Maybe get the ingredients from you. Yes, definitely. So yeah. um, let's let's move on, Karen, and talk about today's um, topic, which, as we said, is all about calcium. Um, I think probably most of us are aware of calcium as a mineral, and it's important for importance for bone health. You know, we were brought up by people saying, you know, calcium is good for your bones, um, mm. but it is important for a runner in other ways too. So in this episode, we're going to really consider the importance of calcium for a runner, discuss the effects of calcium status on running performance, uh, think about the potential risk factors if we have a suboptimal calcium level, and then finally focus on some key nutritional interventions to help us get that optimal calcium status that uh, we're all aiming for. So so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, And I thought, Karen, we could just start by considering the importance of calcium for a runner um, but before we do that maybe you could just give us a quick overview of what calcium is yes absolutely alien so as you said right at the beginning um, calcium is a mineral in fact it is the most abundant mineral um, in the body um, of which 99 percent is found in our bones and our teeth hence why we were always told as youngsters to have our calcium for our bones um, and blood serum or blood or the serum within our blood calcium um, is really tightly regulated um, and interestingly that the blood levels of calcium don't tend to fluctuate with the changes in our dietary intake, which is usually what happens um, when we take in nutrients that changes the blood levels. But, But what happens with calcium is that the body uses the bone tissue as a source of and a reservoir for calcium to maintain the constant concentrations of it in the blood, um, but also in, in muscle and um, sort of other intercellular fluids. So so what you're actually saying there, Karen, is that calcium is absorbed from, that the calcium absorbed from food is not utilised as the circulating calcium but is held, held in this reservoir, as you described it, the reservoir in the bone and the teeth, and the body draws on that as required. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly that, Aileen. And also what's interesting and worth mentioning here is that sort of a maximum of 35% of ingested calcium, so the calcium we take in in our food, is absorbed from the the digestive tract. And of that 35% that we absorb, approximately 50% is then excreted via the kidneys. So really interesting. And I think this really helps us to understand why taking on board an optimal daily intake of calcium is really essential to sort of help maintain the appropriate circulating levels of calcium to really help prevent the leaching of it from the bone. So really interesting mm. facts, I think. It's actually quite quite a small amount mm. that's actually maintained or retained within the body. Yeah. And and we, you know, we mentioned earlier that calcium is important for bone health and bone function, but also bone structure as well. And most of us are really aware of that. And it is something that we discuss in detail in um, episode 21. And then again, in episode 24, when we really concentrate on bone health. So we're not actually going to discuss calcium linked to bone health here. Um, But what I would say is that, you know, calcium really has many functions in the body, um, which include um, clearly the bone health, but also regulating um, hormonal release, the transmission of nerve impulses, muscle contraction, as well as muscle force and power. Also, it's linked to vasodilation, so that dilating of our blood vessels, blood clotting, also um, interlinked with to, to vitamin D and its metabolism, and also the biosynthesis or that synthesis of ATP, so that adenosine triphosphate, which is our energy currency that we have spoken about in other um, other episodes as well. So, so really, quite a, an important mineral in our bodies. Yeah, and you can see how um, you know it would have far-reaching effects on health if if we didn't have enough calcium, and and also how that will all impact on our running performance, either directly or indirectly. Um, so it's it's really interesting to get that big picture, Karen. But I, I thought it would be good if we could concentrate concentrate today on. Um, three key areas that I think will really be of interest to people. Um, First of all, muscle contraction, because as runners, that's really important. Uh, Looking at vitamin D and how it and the parathyroid hormone influence calcium balance, so the homeostasis of of calcium. And then also thinking about energy production, because again, that's something that's really important um, as a runner. So thinking about these areas, could we start looking at muscle contraction uh, to begin with Mm -hmm. so so yeah I was thinking that if if I could just explain how that works um, before I hand back to you Karen to put the discussion into context so so basically um, you know as we know the muscle is a highly specialized form of soft tissue that produces tension uh, which results in the generation of force. And the muscle cells, or the myocytes as they're, they're known as, um, contain fibers. And people probably know about muscle fibers. They're known as myofibrils. And they, they're composed of proteins, actin and myosin. And these proteins slide past each other, producing tension that changes the shape of the, the myocyte. And numerous myocytes make up muscle tissue. And it's the production of that tension within these cells 
due to the change in the shape that's caused by the actin and the myosin proteins that generates the force. So that's sort of a very sort of superficial summary of muscle contraction. Um, and the process is much more detailed than that. But that's just, uh, you know, just enough detail to give us a sort of an overview. Um, so, Karen, thinking about that muscle contraction protest, uh, process, which um, is also known as the sliding filament model uh, or theory, what can you tell us about the role of calcium um, in this process? And how is it appropriate for running performance? Yeah, um, first of all, I would just like to say, Elin, that that was a really great outline of uh, of the sliding filament theory and how that works and sort of making that into, uh, taking it to an even more basic level. What we're really sort of saying is that each muscle fibre or muscle cell is made up of smaller fibres that are called myofibrils. Now, these contain even smaller structures called actin and myosin filaments. And it's these filaments, these two filaments, that slide in and out between each other that form the muscle contraction. And that's why it's called the sliding filament theory, because they're basically sliding past each other. And so to then moving on to answer your question, Aileen, and thinking about calcium's role in the the um, in muscle contraction, that the, the actual muscle contraction cycle is triggered by calcium. So it's really really key in triggering um, triggering our muscle contractions when we're when we're doing anything really. And um, what it does is calcium binds to um, a protein complex known as troponin. Now, when calcium um, binds to this troponin, it then exposes an active binding site on that protein actin that you were speaking about, Aileen. And as soon as that binding site on actin is uncovered, that highly energized myosin um, binding sites are then uncovered and they attach to the actin. And this sort of um, myosin attaching to the actin then forms a cross bridge between the two and that's what triggers the muscle contraction so it's quite detailed and quite difficult to get your head around actually I think and then this um, ATP so the adenosine triphosphate our our energy currency is also really crucial in in this process and this um, and the contraction cycle will continue over and over again for as long as calcium and ATP are available. And and this repeated pooling of the actin over the myosin is often known as the ratchet mechanism because as we go through muscle contraction, it's a series of these cycles. So you can imagine it ratcheting um, up with each cycle. So that's the way it works. And what can happen if there is insufficient calcium or ATP actually um, available is that the muscle contraction cycle slows down and muscle will then become fatigued really quickly. Mm, That's really interesting. I'm I'm sort of trying to imagine how this would look if I could see it in a video. (laughs) So it would be good. I'm sure somebody will have done a sort of an animated video to describe that. Um, So, yeah, that's really and it's really interesting, the impact of of the muscle fatigue as well. I think that's uh, because that's maybe not something people think about when they're fatigued that maybe 
low calcium is at the root of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks, Karen. Let's now take a look at the, the parathyroid hormone and vitamin D and how they work together to manage that calcium balance. Um, so as well as these two hormones and, and vitamin D is we, it's often referred to as a pro-hormone. Sometimes we, we think of it just as a vitamin, but it's actually a, a hormone as well. Um, and we, we need to also mention calcitonin um, because that's a hormone that's released by the thyroid gland and it's known to stimulate uh, bone formation when calcium levels in the blood are high. Yeah, that's a really good point to raise, Aileen, because sort of at the beginning we said we were going to speak about vitamin D and the parathyroid hormone. Clearly, the calcitonin is really important as well because that's going to help um, build uh, bone when there's sufficient calcium um, available. Um, But then the parathyroid hormone, in contrast to calcitonin, the parathyroid hormone stimulates bone demineralization when blood calcium levels are then low. And and just to so so that everybody is aware, sort of the parathyroid hormone is released by the parathyroid glands. Now these are distinct from the thyroid gland. There are glands. There are actually um, four small glands that are located in the neck, and their primary function is to regu- regulate our um, calcium levels, um, and as well as sort of leaching calcium from bone parathyroid hormone also influences our our um influences how the kidneys excrete and filter calcium and um it also stimulates the production of active vitamin d to promote the uptake of calcium via the small intestine so it is a really powerful hormone although i think it's it's not one that is really discussed that often certainly not in any of the platforms that that i access and and the papers and research that i read although you know that that there is plenty of primary research out there looking at its function but when you think about um sport and exercise there's very there's very little yeah, that's true. You don't really hear people discussing para- parathyroid hormones, certainly not in the sports world, mm. um, as, you, as you've mentioned. Um, so let's have a quick look at calcium function in energy production, and then we'll move on to look at the effects of calcium status on running performance. So what is the, you know, can you give us an outline, Karen, on the calcium um, role in energy production? Yeah, sure, Aileen. And again, to put it simply, calcium plays an important role in the regulation of the energy cycle or the citric acid cycle or the Krebs cycle, as it's also known by in words that we use in, in other episodes as well. And it regulates the energy cycle by um, activating various enzymes to produce the ATP and this then allows the this this sort of allows the same signal that stimulates muscle contraction to activate the production of ATP, and that then helps to sustain that muscle contraction. So, so really, I think what it shows is that that calcium and ATP, as well as um, energy production and muscle contraction, they're all really closely interlinked and i i don't think we always associate or put all those all those things together um 
No, I think I think you're right there. I don't think people always join the dots, do they? You know, no. we don't. You know, fatigue and uh, recovery. You know, there's such big topics that people sometimes don't dig down deep enough to see what the what the problems are if if they're having problems. So, mm-hmm. so just to clarify, Karen, what you're saying here is that calcium initiates the same signal for ATP energy production as it does for muscle contraction. Um, so that we've got sufficient ATP or energy available to sustain these muscle contraction cycles that we discussed earlier. And all of that is going on in our bodies without us even knowing about it. We're not even aware of it, which is pretty amazing. And it, it sort of, I'm quite fascinated that uh, all of this happens and all the complexities that we, we take for granted. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty amazing uh, concept to think about. So let's just have a quick summary um, just to simplify some of the information that we've discussed because it is quite quite um, complex. So we've discovered that 99% of calcium is housed in our bones and teeth and um, leaving only 1% for all of the processes that it's involved in to keep us healthy. And as runners, one of its principal functions is muscle contra- uh, contraction, um, and it's key in activating that contraction cycle that you talked about, Karen. Um, it's also really important in um, the production of ATP within the energy cycle, and that is integral to the muscle contraction cycle occurring and being maintained And additionally, the parathyroid um, hormone, vitamin D and calcitonin are all really important in maintaining that serum calcium balance, uh, which will help make sure that everything's working correctly. Yeah, very well put, Aileen. Great synopsis there. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So let's now move on and uh, have a quick look at the effects of calcium status on running performance. Now, we have already mentioned that um, if um, insufficient calcium is available, then that full muscle contraction won't be able to occur. Um, And as as calcium initiates the same signal to produce ATP to fuel the contraction cycle, it does mean that if if um, sufficient calcium isn't available, it's going to result in the the muscle um, tiring and fatiguing much more easily. And I think uh, actually what I would like to mention here as well is that although if we've got insufficient calcium, then clearly our um, muscles are going to tire and fatigue and maybe tire and fatigue early and more easily. But, um, you know, muscle will naturally tire as well. And when this occurs, that transport of calcium to the muscle cells also becomes progressively slow. And this is thought to be due to calcium binding occurring. Therefore, it means that there's less free calcium available to keep that contraction cycle going. And or, they're not too sure, it's still open to debate, um, a potential reduction of calcium reuptake um, happens. Therefore, there's less available calcium to support that muscle contraction. And it is thought that, and this is speaking about natural tiring of the muscle, it's thought that this disruption to calcium availability is what's responsible for the fatiguing of the working muscle. Mm. So, so in other words, early fatiguing of muscle 
could be linked to insufficient calcium availability, whereas natural muscle fatiguing following exercise is thought to be linked to the disruption of calcium availability as the muscle begins to tire. Um, So there's two sort of um, different things going on here. There's sort of early fatiguing and then there's natural fatiguing. Um, And and although, you know, as you said, we, we did dedicate two episodes to bone health, um, I think it's important to mention here that if calcium status is um, insufficient, it could increase the risk of a runner experiencing a stress fracture. Um, so that's uh, something to bear in mind too. Yeah, I think it's it's right just to kind of bring that up here, Aileen, although we speak about that, like you say, in much more detail in um, sort of the two episodes speaking about um, bone health. But it is really important because stress fractures are, are a known um, problem or issue for a lot of runners. And, and I have to say, sort of speaking from personal experience, it was the development of a stress fa- fracture that led um, to me being diagnosed with osteopenia. And thankfully, it was borderline, but it does mean that I now have to be really vigilant and diligent about my calcium intake. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a wake-up call, isn't it, when these things happen? Um, mm. So maybe it would be a good time to have a talk about the female factors linked to calcium status. Um, what should we be thinking about, Karen? Yeah, there are there are a couple of things actually I would mention here, Aileen. Um, one is that it's thought that um, a low vitamin D and calcium status could modestly increase the risk of a woman moving into early menopause, which is an interesting um, idea. Um, and I think something to bear in mind for all our listeners who are pre-menopause and also again thinking personally you know I've spoken about in the past that I went into early menopause and also I I've got osteopenia so (laughs) signs Mm. potentially have been a link there for me personally and also um, a low vitamin d and calcium status is thought to be associated with um some female conditions such as the likes of PCOS, PMS, um, and also endometriosis. And um, studies do suggest that this may be because the ovaries are a target organ for active vitamin D3+. Plus, uh, Vitamin D receptors are found um, on all rep- reproductive tissue. And, and some of the studies that um, I was reading um, s- showed that um, supplementing calcium had found had led to a positive correlation in the reduction of um, early menopause. So again, um, something interesting to, to for us all to consider. And the other thing I would just add here is that, um, you know, females who are vegetarian or vegan, again, may be at a, an even greater risk of low calcium if they're not actively monitoring their calcium and their vitamin D intake. So something else to bear in mind. Yeah, I think they're all really um, good points and uh, something that women at all ages really need to um 
monitor, as you say. So, so just to round up there, Karen, um, so we're saying that low calcium availability may lead to the muscle contraction cycle being incomplete and also to the early tiring and fatiguing of muscle. Um, and it could also lead to an increased risk of stress fractures developing, which is serious for a runner at any time because it means time away from their sport and a full recovery can take up to 12 weeks um, at the very least. <laughs> Sometimes it's longer, isn't it? I know, I know. 12 weeks is a long time in a, in a runner's world, isn't it? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Aileen, I was just thinking before we move on to outline the risk factors for, for low calcium status, shall we just take a quick advert break? Yeah, sure. So um, this is the moment in the episode where Karen and I take a minute just to talk to you about some of the things that we're doing outside of the podcast. Um, So I thought today I'd uh, tell you a little bit about easy nutrition for healthy runners. Um, So, you know, Karen and I, just like you, we're busy working women and we run for health, fitness, achievement and fun. Um, And um, those of you that have been uh, listening to us for a while will know that even as nutritional therapists, we've had our own personal running performance struggles and you know Karen's alluded to some of them there and they're, they're things that you know it's it's a it's part of being a runner's life really um however you know we truly believe that you know we personally resolved our um, struggles with having a foundational everyday healthy eating plan fine-tuning it with sports nutritional principles um, which have helped us maximize our running performance and, and most importantly minimize injury that Karen was mentioning there and and helping us to recover quicker from injury which I think is quite crucial um, and what we did was you know we took our own personal experience um, as well as the, our experience working one-to-one with clients and we turned it into an online program easy nutrition for healthy runners so it's a very short and sweet video program um, and you can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks or if you prefer to take longer you can work through the um, the videos in a, in a longer uh, period of time so if you've been listening today and you think you'd like to know a little bit more about how to apply everyday sports nutrition alongside um everyday nutrition um we'd like you to take a look at the program and it would be a great place to uh, get you started and we give you some easy action steps alongside the video so you can quite quickly put things into into place to help you so if you're interested in finding out more check out our website which is runnershealthhub.com look at the top menu bar Uh, find online program click on there and have a look at the program and if you've got any questions about the program please uh, email us us at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'd be happy to help excellent thanks very much Aileen so now let's move on and think about the potential risk factors for um, suboptimal calcium levels and there are many um, some are within our control some aren't within our so much within our control um, and one that's coming to mind for me here is um, age and it has been found that sort of adolescents and the elderly appear to be the groups most likely to consume insufficient amounts of calcium regularly Um, and also calcium absorption is known to decrease with age largely because of um, decreased vitamin d absorption and the subsequent active d3 production 
So clearly that's going to influence calcium absorption and utilization. Then also um, sweat rate. So thinking about runners specifically, sweat rate um, is going to have an effect because calcium is one of the electrolytes that's lost in sweat. Generally, it's lost in pretty low levels. Um, however, clearly that will depend on sweat rate and also the climate an individual is running in um, on a regular basis. And then thinking about um, diet, specific diets, um, I mentioned earlier about the vegetarian and the vegan diets, that could mean that an individual is at increased risk of, of support optimal calcium levels, especially if they're not monitoring their intake, their daily intake of calcium, but also linking that to um, the vitamin D levels. Although as runners, hopefully um, our exposure to sunlight um, is more, um, is, is increased and more regular than for people who do not do any sport at all, or for other people who are doing sports, but more indoor sports but still it potentially um for a runner it could be that um that their vitamin d levels are suboptimal therefore influencing calcium levels so definitely worth monitoring and also um i'm thinking here about foods um that are high in oxalates or oxalic acid that, it, that it's otherwise known as now these are compounds that are found naturally in foods but they bind to calcium therefore um inhibit calcium absorption. So that's worth thinking about. And also um, a high sodium diet. Um, high sodium intake can result in um, increased loss of calcium in urine. And this is thought to be due to the competition between sodium and calcium for reabsorption in the kidneys. Or maybe um, it's due to a, an effect of the sodium on parathyroid hormone secretion. But again, that, that's something that still needs to be substantiated. But there is a, a thought that, that sodium can affect um, the secretion of parathyroid hormone. And the other thing I would just like to mention here is medication. There are certain medications that are known to impact on calcium as well. And I'm thinking here of PPI, so those protein pump inhibitors or antacids that um, they're all also known as, and they may reduce the absorption of calcium via the digestive tract. And then also there's laxatives as well. So laxatives could increase the calcium elimination through feces. So it's, it's just not getting the time to be absorbed in the digestive system because it's being pushed through so quickly. Um, Aileen, those are a few things. Would you add anything else here? Um, yeah, just a few things on um, diet and lifestyle. Um, just building on what you've said, Karen, you, you mentioned um, vitamin D earlier and um, you know we know that vitamin D is needed for the absorption of calcium via the digestive tract and um, but you'll also know that if you've listened to any of our other episodes where we've mentioned vitamin D that we don't tend to get much vitamin D from food so being in sunshine as, as Karen mentioned is, is pretty crucial um, and also um, you know it might be that you need to consider vitamin D supplements. Um, and we always suggest that you get your vitamin D status tested um, so that you get the correct um, type of supplement. And that might be the thing that gives you optimal vitamin D status. 
Um, another thing to consider would be uh, a low magnesium status. So um, magnesium deficiency may impair the parathyroid hormone secretion by the parathyroid glands. Um, and it can also lower the responsiveness of the osteoclasts of that there, the cells that break down bone. Um, so it's really important that you um, maintain your, your magnesium status. And one of the easiest ways of doing that is just to eat lots of dark green leafy vegetables um, every day. And that will help top up your magnesium from food. Um, and I think oh, another thing, just thinking again about, you know, people's personal situations is that, you know, some people um, may, uh, you know, suffer from poor kidney function due to illness or maybe, um, you know, a particular health condition. Um, and as we, as we mentioned earlier, the kidneys help control how much calcium is excreted from the body or reabsorbed. Um, and the parathyroid gland function would also be, you know, play, play a key part in this, um, as Karen uh, mentioned earlier. And then finally, you know, the other thing to consider is if you've got a digestive condition. So especially things like inflammatory bowel diseases, such as Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, um, because they have, um, you know, an, an inflammation of the gut lining, and that can also impair the absorption of many nutrients, not just calcium. So all of those things might um, lead you to have a suboptimal calcium status. And so again, you know, with our functional medicine head on, it's like, you know, if you get tested and you're, you're low, it's like, well, why are you low? And let's get to the root of the problem as well as, um, you know, finding a way of um, getting you back up to the right status. Yeah, absolutely. And just from what we've spoken about, Aileen, there are there are several, quite a few risk factors that potentially could be leading to somebody um, suffering from suboptimal calcium levels. And and you know, interestingly, low levels or certainly suboptimal levels of of calcium don't always produce symptoms um, initially. So for anyone, I think, who suspects they may have sub suboptimal calcium levels, maybe they think they, they just don't take on enough or maybe some of these factors, that these risk factors that we've described, they think, oh, I can relate to that, then I think it would be um, really worth having your levels tested. Um, but then as sort of that insufficiency develops, then symptoms will then become available at some point. And some of these um, symptoms include muscle aches, uh, muscle pain, spasms and cramps. And these do tend to be the earliest of the signs. So if you are starting to notice changes, differences, aches and pains and cramps in your muscles, that might be suggesting that you have, um, you've got suboptimal calcium levels. Other symptoms include tiredness and fatigue, also tingling and numbness, generally in the arms or the hands, um, the legs or feet, and also around the mouth um, is another area where you might have the sensation of tingling or numbness. And then also an irregular heartbeat can be a potential symptom, dry scaly skin and um, and really coarse hair that um, that breaks easily. So um, what, what I would say, these are just some symptoms, you know, this isn't exhaustive, that some people could be um, showing other symptoms as well. But many of these symptoms that I've spoken about are also associated with other nutrient deficiencies, hence why I think testing 
is really important just to ensure that you're addressing that primary cause. Correct, Karen. So lots of information to be thinking about there. So so we've established that there are potentially many risk factors to developing suboptimal calcium status, including age, diet, nutritional deficiency, um, medical illness and conditions, and also sweat rate. Um, so now let's move on and look at the nutritional interventions that we could consider that would help to reverse and optimize um, calcium status. So, um, and we talked about this earlier, Karen, didn't we, that most people would immediately think of dairy products when they're thinking about calcium food sources, which is correct. Dairy products do contain good levels of calcium. Um, however, there's lots of people that aren't able to tolerate dairy. You know, they may have a lactose intolerance, um, whilst others potentially overeat dairy products, which could lead to, lead to a sensitivity to these products, and that could lead to digestive issues, which could eventually compromise calcium um, and, and other nutrient absorption. Um, so I think when it comes to dairy, I would say, you know, have it in moderation, don't overindulge um, and consider using things like sheep's and goat's dairy products because they tend to be less aggravating to the digestive tract. Um, and you could also um, choose other dairy alternatives such as coconut or soy um, ranges, particularly the organic ones. Um, and often you find that these are fortified with calcium. Um, so it's worth checking the labels. Um, but there are actually lots of other food that contain calcium. So dairy foods aren't the only sources. Um, so, you know, being more diligent about your calcium intake is really important. Um, you, you were saying that, that that's something that you really focus on now, Karen. Um, so which, um, which food choices do you make that, that help your calcium status? Yeah, well, the foods that I really enjoy that contain um, good levels of calcium in, um, include the likes of broccoli, kale, spinach, rocket so all those leafy greens that you mentioned earlier alien that are also good for um, magnesium levels also i love red kidney beans in fact lots of different beans and pulses like chickpeas i think chickpeas and butter beans would be my favorites um and then um also nuts and seeds especially um sesame seeds and almonds i love those and also i have olives as well because they're another good source of um of calcium but actually thinking about um the spinach and rocket um remember earlier we talked about the oxalates um and how they could impair the absorption of calcium well these vegetables are actually high in oxalates as are most leafy greens actually so what i would say is um really aim to cook these before eating them and um Boiling or steaming is thought to be the best way to diminish the action of these oxalates. So, and you don't have to overboil or oversteam, but just sort of um, to to um, a, a good degree, so that you're you're sort of diminishing the the actions of oxalates. Um, but I have to say, you probably wouldn't want to to cook rocket. It's not something I've ever done. Um, but um, yeah, what I would say there is just maybe to make sure that you. 
you um, eat the rocket in in moderation. And um, and there are many other foods that contain um, oxalates as well. Um, another couple to consider that um, are actually spring foods, actually, uh, rhubarb and beetroot. So just be mindful of those as well and think about um, cooking them to, to reduce the impact of the oxalates. Great. I mean, it's great to know that there's such a wide range of calcium containing foods and, um, you know, also some easy ways to minimize the action of the oxalates. So the, so the government actually re- recommends a daily intake of calcium between 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams a day. Um, so I think it's always helpful to look at some portion size so people can understand how much food they would need to eat to achieve that daily intake. And, and as always, you know, food always comes first with us rather than um, just resorting to using uh, supplements. So to achieve 200 milligrams, you'd need to be eating something like a cup of uh, collard greens or 120 grams of fortified tofu, um, a 50 gram tin of sardines, uh, 125 grams of natural yogurt. So that's just for 200 milligrams. So, you know, you're going to have to times that by five or six. Um, and if you choose a, a wide range of different calcium foods, you're more likely to be able to um, get that in over the course of a, a day's food plan. Yeah. And I actually think, Aileen, when when you look at what you've said there, and um, they're all sort of doable portion sizes, aren't there? I think it would be quite easy to to reach that recommended daily allowance each day. But like you say, as long as um as you keep the, the your meals varied and include uh, lots of different um types of foods and some other food portions that I'm thinking of that that would help puncture what you've said are um sort of dried figs so having four dried figs would give you 200 milligrams um of calcium 40 grams of tahini so that would be easily used in and and making a hummus or just as a spread um 24 grams of sesame seeds so that's a nice portion size um 280 grams of cooked red kidney beans or um, 400 grams of broccoli. I think 400 grams of broccoli sounds a lot, but actually when you weigh broccoli, um, it is, it's not that much broccoli that makes up um, 400 mm. grams. It probably is about a portion size. So so lots of choices really for everybody to um, consider. And, and just one last thing I wanted to mention here is that, um, like we said earlier, earlier, many foods are fortified with, with calcium and these foods might be important um, for certain people, um, especially people maybe following a vegan or vegetarian diet. So just to ensure that they're getting sufficient calcium, they may want to introduce um, some of the fortified foods. But what I would say here is just to be mindful of the quality of the product you choose, because many foods that are fortified with nutrients, with different nutrients, um, also contain other additives that are really non-nutritious. So they're non-nutrients. So just be mindful. And I would just say to buy the the purest products that that you can afford, really, or maybe just think about increasing your intake of um, 
of other foods that contain calcium. Just vary your diet like we were speaking about. Trying to sort of be mindful of how much dairy that you're taking on board and not just always resorting to the dairy products. Introducing some of the other foods that that we've spoken about as well. And, um, you know, Aileen, you were saying earlier about we were sort of looking at the foods and thinking about foods rather than um than supplements and and you know we do always say food comes first rather than supplements and and that's always our mantra but it could be that there are some situations when a supplement may need to be recommended but I would really suggest that anybody considering that do it under the guidance and direction um of of your healthcare professional whoever that may be so just to not go out and buy calcium supplements off the shelf Yeah, that's really, really important advice, I think. Mm -hmm. So thanks, Karen. I think what we can deduce from everything that we've said here is that there's a lot of choice out there when we're looking at foods containing uh, calcium. And we don't have to depend just purely on dairy products to achieve an adequate daily intake. Uh, But remember, as we said earlier, we only absorb 35% of the consumed calcium from our food. So it's important that you do eat optimal levels on a daily basis and um, that would be a really helpful approach. So Karen, uh, I think we need to sort of draw to a close. So before we we say goodbye, could you round up with uh, your key takeaways from today? Yes, sure, really. There are a few, I think, from this, um, starting off with the fact that right at the beginning, we said calcium is classed as a mineral um, and and 99% of it is found in bone and teeth. So only 1% is left to to sort of circulate in in the blood serum. And and a maximum of 35% of the calcium we ingest is actually absorbed from the GI tract. And of that 35% of absorbed, we lose about 50% um, through the kidneys. So really sort of ensuring that you have an optimal daily intake of calcium is going to be essential to help maintain the appropriate circulating levels to help prevent the leaching of it from bone. And calcium has many functions in the body. However, the key ones for a runner to think about um, our bone support, so that structure, the strength and the function of bone, energy production, because calcium helps regulate that um, ATP, so that um, energy currency production, and also muscle contraction, because calcium is important in initiating that um, contraction cycle. And I think also here I would mention vasodilation, so the widening of the blood vessels would be important important um, for a runner for that oxygen circulation. Then there are several ways the body controls calcium levels um, in bone and blood. And this is via the hormones calcitonin and parathyroid hormone with calcitonin absorbing calcium into the bone whilst parathyroid hormone leaches it from the bone and then via vitamin d and the absorption of calcium from the gi tract or the the digestive tract and then via the kidneys um, which controls how much calcium is excreted or reabsorbed and and just as a reminder that that 
parathyroid hormone is the master controller of that vitamin D and kidney actions on calcium and um and the, th- the thyroid gland being the controller of calcitonin synthesis and function. And then some symptoms that would be worth um, um, sort of observing for that would suggest calcium levels are suboptimal include muscle aches and pains, spasms and cramps. And you might find that these are the earliest signs. Then tiredness and fatigue, tingling and numbness in the extremities or around the mouth. Um, But there are many more. And remember that many of these symptoms can also be associated with other nutrient deficiencies. So best to test would be um, would be my mantra. And there are many risk factors for low calcium levels, some of which are outside our control and some that are within our control. And examples here include age, diet, sweat rate and medications. And then finally, there are many foods that contain calcium. It's not just about dairy products. Um, And examples include um, broccoli, kale, spinach and other leafy greens, red kidney beans, plus other beans and pulses. And we spoke about chickpeas and butter beans earlier, nuts and seeds, especially sesame seeds and almonds and also olives. But remember, some foods do contain the oxalates that could inhibit calcium absorption, but you can sort of disarm these by um, boiling or steaming steaming foods. And then finally, finally, Aileen, um, as long as you are healthy and you keep your meals healthy and varied, I do think it's possible to achieve your daily calcium needs via the diet, even if you are um, vegetarian or vegan. But it is about being diligent and it is about keeping your diet varied. And that's it. Wow, that's a lot, isn't it? (laughs) Thank thank you, Karen. That was really interesting. I think we're all uh, better equipped now to know why calcium is so important and how to um, get that optimal status. Um, So I'd I'd just like to say uh, to everybody listening, if there are any specific nutrients you'd like us to highlight uh, in an episode, um, just drop us an email and we'll aim to discuss them in, in a few future episode and uh, remember everyone don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance well this brings us to the end of another episode of she runs eats performs brought to you by runners health hub helping female runners to be fitter faster and stronger we really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon in the meantime we'd be so grateful if you check us out on itunes and leave a review And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. 
They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.